Thanks for joining us on episode 1,356 of the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. Hey, I'm Alan Cox. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence and impact the world by using your time, your talent and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to live a more fulfilling and mentally healthy life is key. And one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my good friend, Scott Matter. In, in all the times that I was struggling, I was completely disconnected from any kind of faith or spirituality. But in in the process of you know after that after that event which led me on my path to transformation, I literally studied everything from you know Taoism, Buddhism, all kinds of different things. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures. For your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In today's podcast episode, I interview Alan Cox. I ask Alan to talk about how he developed his mental health app, Ever Yellow. I also ask about how his faith journey influenced how he views mental health. Alan also shares with you how we can really achieve mental well-being if we just focus on the fact that it's a journey and a continuum, not a destination. I've got a new book coming out called Inspired Living, Assembling the Puzzle of Your Call by Mastering Your Time, Your Talent, and Your Treasures. You can find out more about it and sign up for getting more information over at inspiredstewardship.com, Inspired Living. That's inspiredstewardship.com, Inspired Living. Alan is a mental health changemaker on a mission to transform the narrative around mental health and empower millions of people to achieve mental fitness. With over 30 years of experience in entrepreneurship and innovation, Alan combines his professional expertise with his personal mental health journey to bring a unique lens to addressing the mental health challenges that plague our society. Surviving an abusive childhood and decades of poor mental health, Alan has faced multiple major setbacks, including a near-death experience and an earthquake. Over the past decade, Alan has immersed himself in the study of the mind, exploring Taoism, Buddhism, psychology, and neuroscience. His journey has taken him to Thailand, where he spent time with Buddhist monks, furthering his understanding of mental well-being. Alan's commitment to helping others achieve mental fitness, combined with his extensive experience in entrepreneurship and innovation, led to the creation of the groundbreaking mobile app, Ever Yellow. He believes that everyone has the potential to live a more fulfilling life, and with the right tools and mindset, achieving mental fitness is more accessible than we might realize. Welcome to the show, Alan. Hey, I'm really glad to be here, Scott. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm looking forward to talking to you today. I talked a little bit about in the intro about some of your background and, and how you grew up and these sorts of things, and we mentioned the app, Ever Yellow, 
But can you unpack for the listeners a little bit more about your own journey and why you've decided to put this app out into the world? What is it that drove you to do this? Yeah, it's, it's hard to encapsulate it all in a simple sentence, really, because it's those things that just build up and manifest over time. The very short story, I guess, is up until I was about about the age of 40, I, I had an abusive childhood. I, I struggled with mental health for most of my adult life. There's been some really bad times during that. And you know, there's been suicide attempts and, you know, thank God that didn't uh, work. Then I nearly, I, I, I've, the 20, between 20 and 40 years of age, I've been in entrepreneurship, running businesses, and that has its own, own set of challenges. What really brought things to a head was when I nearly got killed in the Canterbury earthquakes, had a very traumatic event there at a time when I would have probably needed to have taken time out and counselling and what have you. I had to step into being a leader because our offices were trashed. We had to somehow find a new location to work from. Ultimately, that led to my business uh, basically uh, going bankrupt and that then led to me having a major mental breakdown and really that was the turning point um, in my life actually because my prognosis was very poor and uh, yeah there was an event happened that really turned on the lights for me and that led me to a path of uh, transformation and I really discovered that there's a place to be that's much better than just being normal do you know what I mean like where, where most people are and they don't consider themselves mentally unwell or depressed or whatever they just on the treadmill of life right and I discovered a place that kind of transcended that. And through that kind of transformation, I also learned a whole lot of stuff around psychology and neuroscience. And I also discovered really disappointingly that most of the mental well-being apps out there just don't work. And that, that's just not me saying that from a competitor perspective. There's go and Google it. There's there's plenty of research studies that have been done that show that there's no evidence that these apps work. There's uh, the retention rate on these apps is diabolically low. So I, I got to a point where I started to understand that there are literally billions of people in the world that need help with their mental being and their resilience and they they need some guidance to get to that better place but they're not being served by these digital products so i had been toying on the idea for a while and then at the same time there was 
you know when you're in that state where you're toying with ideas but you haven't really got the i don't know the confidence or, or maybe you're procrastinating and but then mental health really started becoming an issue especially post covid right? right and we start we learned of people like Avicii and Anthony Bourdain taking their life and then I really started thinking, look, this is a serious problem. And then finally, a, a very close friend of mine took his life as well, unfortunately. And, and, and at that time, my consulting job, it was going well, but it was actually bringing me down. Just It was in the kind of the government sphere, and it, it, was, it was actually hurting my well-being. So I thought, I'll stuff this I'm going to do it. And that, that really was, uh, that was really the catalyst for starting Ever Yellow. Mm-hmm. So when was the, uh, the earthquake event? When, how long? Uh, to, 2011. Okay. So 2011, because there were, there were a couple of different triggers that you put in there of things that made you begin to realize what, what helped you wake up to the fact that let me ask that a different way. You mentioned you grew up in an abusive home. You had suicide attempts and these sorts of things. Did you think of yourself as having mental health concerns or, or were you just normal in your own mind? That's a really good question because I think that when you are struggling, I, th- I think, especially for me, British male with talk talk to be that stoic stiff up a little yeah <laughs> yeah I'm not like it, it is funny because it, even though I had been to see doctors and I was on antidepressants and all these kinds of things it never really occurred to me that I was I had a mental illness kind of thing and I, I, I know, and I obviously knew that I needed help, but yeah, it was. It's hard to describe, and I, I think it's why. I think it's why you do get a situation where just so many people that are struggling don't even perceive that there's something wrong, and and underlying that there's their kind of mental resilience is actually very low and their and their kind of mental toolkit is actually not great and then when something comes along that challenges that that's when they can go to a really hard place so a lot of times i think that's important to call out is this idea that we can be struggling, but we feel like I, I got it together. I, I'm, I'm doing okay, even though we're in that place where we're already struggling. And then, like you said, all it takes is that one more event or that one big trigger or that one push that recognizes, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe I'm not doing so good. Maybe I didn't have it all together after all. Because part of what you're talking about, too, if I'm understanding correctly, with resilience and these sorts of things it's not just the quote dealing with 
the emergency. It's what can we do before we ever got to that place of having that emergency or that breaking point? Is that right? Yeah, and I, th I think one of the really big things that I discovered is that there, there are, are definitely things like physical things that are present in your brain that are in some way abnormal because of the life that you've had over a prolonged period of time, right? So just some examples of that is that your hippocampus, which is critical for processing information, right, and therefore how you interpret situations and think about the world and what that your hippocampus will be shrunk to some degree and if you've been depressed for a long period of time it could be uh, shrunken by 20 30 percent and there's a whole bunch of these things right your I, I call it the mental operating system in your brain right there's you if you think of if you think of a computer program, right, it, ne it needs two things, right? It's, it needs the actual software itself, the coding that says, if this, then that. And it also has the data, right? And the trouble is, over our lifetimes, both of those things get corrupt, right? Mm -hmm. the, the data is like our thoughts, feelings, and attitudes towards things, right? So in, in my case, for many years, I thought that I was unworthy. I thought that I could not be a success. My parents didn't love me, those kinds of things. And, not, and they would have – they're big beliefs to have, right? right? And then on top of that, you've got a faulty piece of software that is saying – like something like if someone looks at you a certain way or talks to you in a certain way, that means this because you're unworthy, right? right. It's, all, it's all this stuff working together. So you've got these physical changes, you've got like chemical changes. And so there's that was the big wake-up call for me was that there's actually real stuff that is is occurring that's making you the way you are and all of that stuff can be reversed right yeah. that, and that was really enlightening for me yeah i have a, a background my my one of my degrees is actually in genetics and the question that i always everyone asks about genetics is is it nature or nurture right is it the genetics or is it the environment mm -hmm. and the funny thing is geneticists answered that question a long time ago and the answer to that question is yes <laughs> because <laughs> it's both it's never one or the other and you're oh, talking yeah. about the same thing here is it's mm -hmm. not just our brain and our physiology and it's not just our beliefs and it's not just our environment it's how all of that stuff and our history and our past all of that stuff works together in this big old ball of stuff that we call a brain and <laughs> you know yeah. a soup that we call the, our thoughts and then it all feeds back yeah positively or negatively, but it can feed back in these loops that cause us to act out our, our programming, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. 
can you share a little bit too about uh, your own faith journey and how that kind of intersected and fit into this journey that you did towards the app? Yeah, I, I guess faith, God, all of those it, it can all mean different things to different people, right? I would say that until my transformation happened, I basically grew up in a like a completely non-religious family and also completely non-spiritual, right? And so in in all the times that I was struggling, I was completely disconnected from any kind of faith or spirituality. But in in the process of after that after that event, which led me on my path to transformation, I literally studied everything from Taoism, Buddhism, all kinds of different things. It, even it might sound strange, but even looking at parts of science that science just cannot explain. You might have to help me here, but there's this there's this thing. I think it's called quantum entanglement. Have you heard about that? Yeah, quantum and, mechanics and, and quantum entanglement. Yeah. Yes. And basically, what quantum entanglement says is that it doesn't matter how far away two particles are in an instant they can transfer information and and that's that's according to science that's not possible because nothing can go faster than the speed of light we don't know how it works we just know it does (laughs) Um, so i think just through all of that stuff i've become a lot more aware that we're all connected and there's 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 something out there beyond us. And that was actually really calming and helpful to me. I I don't believe, for example, that if I call out to the universe, they're going to help me win lotto on Saturday, right? I don't believe that. You don't believe the universe is a cosmic vending machine? That you can put not in a corner and get what you want out? Not, <laughs> okay. co- not quite. But, okay. <laughs> but what I do believe is, is that we humans and the universe are probably connected in a way that's beyond our imagination. And, and yes, so that's where I'm at with that. And I do believe that in some ways the energy we put out into the universe reflects back to us. But oh, of course, yeah. But that's not the same as I can win the lottery on Friday because I visualize (laughs) winning the lottery on Friday. (laughs) That's right. Um, That's right. Yeah, I I would agree with that. You talked earlier about kind of the operating system and the software and the, the hardware and the data and how that works together. I think for a lot of us deep down inside we have that inner voice that that data that you were talking about that kind of speaks out to us as i'm not worthy or i'm not good enough or you know, whatever it is it shows up in different ways for different people why do you think how how does that programming happen for us if that makes sense from a so first of all you're right that 
some of it is genetic. Depending on who you read or believe, I, I think it's estimated somewhere between 20-30% of your makeup is genetic, right? So, for example, if your people in your family had mental health problems or mental illnesses, it 20-30% of that will be carried, of, of your makeup will be carried forward. But the bulk of it really is is a process called mental conditioning, right? And and mental conditioning can be used in both a positive way and a negative way. Now, the 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 problem that we have with our brain is that we have a very old reptilian part of our brain that doesn't serve us very well today. Let me just explain. Many years ago, when we were like cavemen, hunters and gatherers, we would have had to, we would always have to be on very high alert for dangers around us, whether it's like neighboring tribes or dangerous animals. If the bus animals. is rushing, it might be a lion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's like we've got this, like, in a radar that's always going saying what is there that's going to hurt me right we don't have a system saying what is out what is out there that's going to make me feel good about myself right and so basically what happens throughout our lifetime that radar we have these experiences whether it's falling off a bike whether it's been smacked or verbally abused all of these things we experience all of these things through life but sadly we humans have uh, a really bad tendency to take notice of the bad stuff and that's the stuff that we store away and that's the stuff that this reptilian brain puts down these circuits in your brain that says look this is dangerous or all, all these kinds of things. And so it really, it's just small, tiny pieces over our lifetime. And we, when we, from the time we went to kindergarten and we then went through school, we never had anyone say to us, hey, look, when you feel like this, it's actually this physical thing that's going on in your brain so just don't worry about it let it go right or there's a gazillion things that we can learn about our brain right if you get bullied by somebody it's probably more about what's going on in the life of the bully than you so don't let it affect you right we never got that education right so that's why over a period of time we learn lots of false beliefs about ourselves the world around us and how and how we should interoperate how, how we should react with that so that that's basically how it works i think i think sometimes even just recognizing that like you said that that inner voice 
it's trying to protect us. May or may not always be doing it the best way, <laughs> but it, it's it's not evil. <laughs> it's a survival characteristic. It's trying to protect us. Exactly right. Yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes it's doing it in a way that's not good. But <laughs> I think most of the way it's doing it. In a way it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So when you talk about the that kind of reprogramming of our minds, I think the first glance, first glance, most people would go, okay, well, that must be really hard to do. That must take a lot of work. It must be really difficult. Can you talk about some of the tips or techniques or what are some of the small actions that we can take that can help us start breaking down that programming, identifying it, and maybe reprogramming how we feel about the world? That's that. That's a really good question, and 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 it it is a really big subject. And and I'd, I'd like to perhaps just start with an analogy, right? Imagine your if you think of your brain as being like a series of these trodden paths. That's the way we naturally go, right? So imagine you're standing in the entrance to a field with long grass, and there's a well-trodden pathway going to the top left-hand corner of the field. That's the way you're going to walk because that's the way everyone walks and that's, that's what you do every day. But you you basically think, I really should be going to the top right-hand corner, not that corner, right? So when you if you start doing that, it's you, you start flattening the grass and it takes time, but every step you take you're flattening that pathway and making it a little bit easier every single time you tread it right and eventually that becomes the default pathway and the old pathway has grown back and disappeared that is exactly what happens in our brain right without with these neural connections that basically form the circuitry in our brain that determines how we operate so with that in mind, without oversimplifying it, all we need to do is continuously take small steps in trying to forge those new pathways, right? So how, how do you do that? One of the simplest things you could do is just simply start to read and educate yourself about the mind by buy a book about positive psychology, about neuroscience, or even if you're not into books, just go on YouTube. And inst instead of doom scrolling on social media, watch some videos on, like there was, I remember there was one video that I saw where they actually showed under a, an electron microscope a neural pathway forming to a new place, right? And, and when you actually see it, you think, oh, my God, right? And so they're just some of the things. So I think a, a big thing is education, right? S start feeding yourself with the truth about how your mind works, right? The, s the second thing you can do is start to capture and challenge the thoughts and reactions that you're having on a daily basis. So, for example, let's just say that you have a feeling that, look, I sh probably shouldn't apply for this 
new job because I probably won't, I'm probably not good enough, right? Start actually to take control of that and, and get a pen and paper out and say, what are, what are all the reasons that I think I'm not good enough? And then every one of those reasons, argue with it and say, no, bugger that. I, I can actually do that thing, right? So that's one thing you could do. And, and even things like you say driving along the road and someone comes on along and cuts in front of you. I met, When that used to happen to me, I would gesticulate and go on the hooter and swear and call them number one. Tell them yeah, number one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when things like that happen, and, th and these things happen all throughout the day, right? right? And I've got a, another wonderful story like that about my wife, actually, I'll just share in a minute. But when those things happen, you will obviously have that reaction. You can't stop it, right? right. But when you, but the first step is to recognize it. Just recognize, say, hey, Alan, what's going on here? What, why that, that person, we don't know what's going on in their life. We don't know why they did that. They probably wasn't trying to kill me. They don't they probably even either know didn't me. see you or were in a big hurry whatever. or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. something else. And so the first thing is just recognizing it and you will have all the adrenaline running and all that. And then the more you do that, you basically form this habit. Right. And then eventually, and I'm quite serious now, if something like that happens to me today, I can have quite serious things happen like that. And I have no physical or mental reaction whatsoever. I just, it just is a non event for me. Right. And that is just training and creating these new habits. And I, I just wanted to mention I used, I used to get really irritated at my wife when uh, I used to feel like I'm into coffee, right? And I'd have my, say, my grinder, my beans going through the grinder and I'd be, I'd move away from the bench and the grinder's going and the beans have actually gone all the way through and the grinder's still going and she would lean over and turn off the grinder and I'd, I'd get really frustrated and I'd say, look, why are you trying to control me? And now I just think, she just turned off the grinder. Yeah. Yeah. She saw the giant grinder guy. She just turned it off. That's fine. That's Sally. And uh, probably because she and, just didn't like hearing the grinder running when it didn't need to be. <laughs> exactly right. And, and we literally have thousands of these right. tendencies that bring us down that you've just got to start noticing and challenging right. and think what is a better way of responding to this? At a core root, we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions because we know what we meant. That's why we say it. Somebody's, oh, I'm so mad at what you said. That's not what I meant. That's literally what we'll say. That's yeah. not what I meant. But when mm. other, somebody else does it, we judge them based just off their actions, just off what we see, because we can't know what they intended. So we exactly right. Mm. You know, we read into it as opposed mm. to, uh, you know, it's like reading an email. How often have you read an email and you're like, man, this person must be mad. Then you go talk to them or you pick up the phone and call them and they're like, no, I'm not mad. What are you talking about? 
<laughs> I just wrote a stupid email. I'm not mad. <laughs> It's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, but we read into these things a lot of times what's not really there. It, yeah, it, and that happens an awful lot in business, right? You, you, you send off an email and you don't get a response. And I remember the early years when I was in sales, I would basically not follow up on things thinking, oh, they, they don't, they're not interested. They must not care. Yeah. Yeah. The truth is they've probably got a, a million things on their plate and you've fallen off the radar. Doesn't mean anything else other than that. <laughs> or it went to spam, you know, or whatever. Yep, yeah. Could be. You know, or it's at the bottom of their 30,000 unread emails in their inbox. Exactly. <laughs> so when you think about mental fitness and mental well being, what are some of the, the misconceptions people have about mental health or mental fitness? I think the biggest min- misconception that persists is that mental health and mental being are a binary thing that you are either mentally healthy or mentally well or you're not and that's really a very kind of dangerous understanding that like basically permeates everything like i even hear people say oh yeah he's got mental health as if that's a bad thing but everyone has mental health and it is a spectrum. And let, let's just make this real for everybody. If you, if you think of a mental well-being spectrum from one to 10, where one is as bad as you can be, probably suicidal. And a quick caveat here, I'm not talking about mental illnesses, say schizophrenia. I'm, I'm just talking about mental well-being. So mental, number one is about as bad as you can be. Number 10, like you're more enlightened than the Dalai Lama, right? Around the three mark is where you transition from being mentally well to mentally unwell, right? If you go to see a doctor and you say, I'm not feeling too good, they'll do an assessment. If they're a good doctor, if you're a four out of 10, they'll say, look, you just need to rest up or, or whatever they'll say. The trouble is, is that most, if, if you look at like the bell curve of mental well-being, most of us are between four and six. It's like, I can talk to an audience and say, look, just statistically speaking, if I get like eight out of 10 of you to stand up, you could all do with help, right? Sim- simple as that, because... You're all struggling. You're all needlessly. You're all needlessly struggling. But moreover, it's not only about struggling. It's about missing out on the fruits of what being a say a, an eight, nine, or ten give you. And that's really what I woke up to is is that when you move up to that heightened level of mental well-being so that you are like eight or nine it's incredible the impact that has on your life you get a lot more you get a lot more work done in less time your relationships improve you become more creative you have better ideas i I could go on and on and i think yeah I, i would put it into two categories right that if you're 
I think people think that if they're not mentally unwell, then they're just okay, right? And from a certain lens, they are just okay. But what they are is they are, if you can imagine walking, just walking every day on a like a mouse wheel, right? And you, you can't even see what's in front of you because the mouse wheel is just going round and round. When you step off the mouse wheel and start observing what's outside, A, life gets a lot easier, and B, it, you get a lot more joy and fulfillment out of life as well. And I, th I think many people just don't understand that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that idea of a continuum is important too, because I think another way we can think of it as a binary state is I'm well, or I'm unwell. And that's how I'll always be. In other words, you know, if I'm a three, then that's just, I'm a three. <laughs> I can't change that. But the yeah. reality is you could be a three today and a two tomorrow, <laughs> or you could be a three today and a four tomorrow. You can move up and down that continuum too, like you were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. But we can take deliberate actions to move us up or down it in a positive way yeah. if we need to. When you think about that way that we look at ourselves as I'm doing okay, because you've used that expression several times. And that's even how people will answer the question. How you doing? I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. What is the other way of looking at that that could help us move to being better than okay? Fun funnily, funnily enough, if you if you actually again think of that scale in 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 mental in categorization. When you look at, say, scientific papers on categorization, there's five areas that you can be with your mental well-being. There's very poor, okay, good, very good, right? And I think that's a really good way of thinking about what okay means because you're just okay. That's not It's not good or very good. Right, that I think that's how I'd like your audience to understand themselves is if they're okay, that they're, they're actually their, their life is probably harder than it needs to be, and they're missing out on a lot of joy and fulfillment, basically. So, I've got a few questions that I like to ask all of my guests, but before I go there, is there anything else about the work you do or the app? that you think it's really important for folks to, to hear? I think the most important thing is that it actually works. We've been really diligent in how we des designed this in the sense that from I, I would not be interested in running this business if the app did not work for people. In our latest round of testing using like a, an external research platform, we found that 78% of people significantly improved their well-being within, within one week. And we also found that our retention rates are 
about 15 times what the best of the other apps are. We all, we're also an impact enterprise where we put people's well-being above profits, right? So we, we have an always free version of the app. Like we believe that money or absence of finances should never be a barrier to well-being. So there is really no reason not to give it a try. But, um, and, and we also have an enterprise or an organizational offering that goes into businesses, into schools, and it just has a, a big impact on the communities in those places. Mm-hmm. So my brand is inspired stewardship, and I run things through that lens of stewardship. And yet that's one of those words that like leadership and a lot of other words, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So when you hear the word stewardship, what does that word mean to you? And how do you think about that word? I think that for me, what it really means is that I, stewardship is all really about ethical responsibility and sustainability and and in the context of what i'm doing what that really means is that we have to i i i am the steward of a vehicle that can have enormous impact on people's lives and it is my responsibility to to make sure that every decision that i make is in the benefit of the human that's using it rather than thinking about what is going to line my pockets a bit further. That That's basically how I think of stewardship. Awesome. So this is my favorite question that I like to ask everybody. Imagine for a minute, I invented this magic machine and with the machine, I was able to pull you from where you are today and transport you into the future, maybe 150, maybe 250 years. And through the power of this machine, you were able to look back and see your entire life and see all of the connections, all of the ripples, all of the impacts you've left behind. What impact do you hope you've left behind in the world? It might sound a a bit kind of cliche, but it would really be that the world overall is a better place through the impact of my work. And I'll just explain that is that When we become mentally you know, higher up, elevated in your mental well-being, it not only permeates your life, but it also permeates the lives of people around you, the communities around you, and it creates a, a ripple effect, right? So already today, if if I was to if I was to die tomorrow, I would already know that I have positively impacted the lives of thousands of people. And so I'm, I've already succeeded in that respect. But if I could look forward, the time frame that you're talking about is that there would be millions of people that are mentally strong, they are living much better lives, and the decisions that they're making and the ripple effect that they're making is just making the world a better place. So what's on the roadmap? What's coming next for you as you continue on your journey and live out the rest of the year? That's a good question. So 
look, we, we've been uh, working really hard to get our app to a point where we are completely confident to start pulling the levers. Like we haven't really been doing any marketing, like even though the app has been in the app store for about a year and a half now, we haven't been um, marketing or pulling any levers. We were aware of like certain issues with the app and things like that, where they have all now been uh, remedied. And and when I say issues, I'm just talking about like tech technical issues. That went, we're now in a, a very exciting position where we're going to start pulling the levers, right? So we're going to start doing things like uh, partnerships, marketing, social media, all, all these kinds of things. So it's a very, uh, up until now, it's been about building. Now it's all about telling the world. About scaling. You can find out more about Alan and about the app over at everyellow.com. Of course, I'll have a link to that over in the show notes as well. I will say I've been using the app and playing with it the last couple of months after I got to know Alan and really enjoying it and finding it really powerful. Alan, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? Yeah, I think it would just be to say that Again, it might sound a bit cliche, but seriously, you, you, you only get one chance at life, right? And if I could just urge you to, at no cost, just give the app a try for one week, t- 10 minutes a day for one week, and just see if you get something from it. Because the vast majority of people they do get something from it and it makes a shift happen that sends them on a new path. So just give it a go. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time your talent, and your treasures. Develop your influence and impact the world.